Mahatma Gandhi famously said, if we are going to teach real peace in this world, and if we are going to carry on a real war against war, we shall have to begin with the children. Yes, this is the Big Picture Social Emotional Learning Podcast, and no, we are not going to get all political on you. But the time is now for us as educators and parents of today's children to courageously and creatively step into our responsibility for the development of tomorrow's citizens, citizens who ideally live and express attributes considered to be humane, well thought out, balanced, and equitable. This episode with the inspired and inspiring Nick Terrones, a Seattle-based preschool teacher, will provide reaffirming insights about the critical importance of your classroom practices around a full spectrum of social justice challenges, all of which are profoundly connected to children's social-emotional learning and their life skills development. Hello and welcome. My name is Nene White. Thank you for being here. Both Nick and I want to encourage you to share this important episode with others you think that might be ready to take on the worthwhile challenges of bringing social justice issues into their conversations with young children, even very young children. You'll see it's easier and more natural than you might imagine. Nicarones, did I say your name correctly? Yeah, yeah, even with the, with the role. That sounds great. <laughs> All those years of studying Spanish haven't been a waste. So this is a topic that requires some courage and some solidity of character on the teacher's part in order to really take on that responsibility of being an educator that makes a real difference in children's lives. And I know you do that, Nick. And so we're talking about social justice thinking today for preschoolers. Mm-hmm. Where would you like to start? What would you like to tell us about? Yeah. Well, you know, it's as I was thinking about this topic and, um, and, and, you know, these really, these two stories came up like in our, that just happened yesterday or within the past couple of days, one in my hometown of Seattle and one in New York city that is getting a lot of media attention. Um, the first one, uh, that I'd like to talk or speak to is, uh, there's our, one of our morning radio, um, people here in Seattle that I listen to is an African-American gentleman named G Scott. He's really funny, really good at um, the whole morning radio talk. He, he lives in, so two things happened to him, I guess this weekend he was talking about. Um, well, one, he was playing at a park, I think just by himself. It was early in the morning when I heard it, I think he was exercising or something in a field and somebody called the cops on him and he was in a in a in a predominantly white affluent neighborhood and they called the cops on him and he had to like explain himself even though he was social distancing and whatnot but so uh and then i later on in the weekend at his condo complex where he lives he was putting trash into the dumpster and uh an elderly white lady came out and was started yelling at him and tell him that he couldn't put that he didn't have a right to put trash there and that he didn't live there and and blah, blah, blah. And so it, you know, it's, 
it's those things that reminds me of like why providing uh, or having social justice education is, is important. And before we dive into that, this other story that's in the mainstream media right now is of um, another African-American gentleman, Christian Cooper uh, was bird watching in central park and a middle-aged white lady came up and, and, or he asked her to put her dog on a leash so he can keep bird watching. Cause you know, dogs will disturb the birds. Absolutely. And, and she started calling the cops on him because she felt her life was being threatened. <laughs> oh, and so yeah. these really like disproportionate reactions or these extreme reactions to something so mundane create from these mundane situations really shows us that, that racism is not gone away. And yes, we had a black president, but that doesn't mean everything was fixed. Right. And, and what was the way I found out about these stories was from an, uh, an elderly family member who she told me, you know, I don't, I never considered myself racist and I'm open to all people, but you know, I grew up every time, it was on the media, the media would show me anytime there was a shooting or a robbery or this or that, it was either a black or a brown person. Right. And so, and then now I'm seeing the counter narrative to it. And she's starting to really question her thinking at 83 years old, you know, in the way that she, the things that the constructs that she grew up with. Uh-huh. And I think that's the important thing that we have to consider for children, especially at the early ages of early childhood education is that our role as educators is to really provide a counter narrative, you know, because I, I do see education, even in the earliest years, has really, to me, two sides to it. It could be one that perpetuates a narrative that keeps things simple and safe where injustices and inequity thrive and, and strive, or we can take the opportunity to shake things up and disrupt thinking and really try to cultivate and foster critical thinking and, yes. and get children to, to question. Yes. Yes. So I, I really want to hear how you do that with little ones, but I, I know how I've done it. And, and it is so satisfying because there's so much intelligence within them and they're observing everything. But if we can help them to, think in bigger terms outside of fear or knee-jerk reactions yeah that's what i want to hear what you do for them yeah you know um and i think i I touched on this a couple episodes ago with you know i think children i mean i believe that children really do come to us with a lot of inherent strengths and a lot of those strengths are rooted in their their development and you know i'm speaking from the toddler lens and from my many years of working with toddlers, the one thing I've, that seems to be consistent to me and what's true in their development is that they're starting to really um, separate things from like same indifference. And so I do simple games with them and we'll start off with like, um, we'll talk about like four different or four squares, right? Of four different colors. And I'm like, let's talk about same indifference. The way that they're the same is that they're all squares and they're all called shapes. The way that they're different is either by their size. And we just kind of talk about that just simple classification. And then we'll, you know, bring in other shapes, um, triangles or circles that are of different colors. And we'll say, Oh yeah, this triangle is blue, just like this blue circle. 
but they're different shapes. And so kind of helping them sift through what similarities and differences are. And then eventually by springtime, like around this time, I'll do it with baby dolls and we'll talk about our different makeup, um, skin color, uh, of the baby dolls that we have. Yes. This, this baby has skin color. That's tan, the kind of like my skin. And I'll hold up the baby dolls arm to my arm and show them like our skin color is the same. Right. And then, or I'll have a, uh, like a, um, like a, a black baby doll and, or dark brown, we'll call it and say, yeah, some people call this dark brown skin or some people call this black and or African-American. And really the key is, is to just normalize this conversation, right? right, right and right. and just talk about it like, like it's like we're talking about yogurt and berries or something. <laughs> and that's what I was getting. Yeah. yeah. And, um, and we do that with family makeup, you know, and, and I think, you know, um, one of the ways that I've done that is we look at, well, we try to make it relevant of like, you know, if we do have, um, like a mom and a mom, two mom family or two dad family, then we, we uh-huh. just be like, Oh, we just bring that to the table. Oh yeah. Who's in your family? Oh, who's in your family? Oh, I don't have two dads. That'd be pretty cool if I did like, but I, I just got a mom and dad just like you do. Oh, you yeah. two have two mom and dads. We're just like, Oh, our families are made up differently. Um, yeah. I'll even, I have, a. I use some of my childhood favorite, um, characters, Bill and Ted, you know, these two characters. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And so I have these two little dolls and I call, and I'm like, here's Bill and Ted. And, you know, they came from preschool to visit us. And, and I've made them their own, like little family makeup, like family pictures and just kind of like Photoshop their heads into like these, like, a, like I think Bill has a two mom family and has these other siblings. And then Ted was raised by his grandparents. And so it's kind of like, yeah, these, these kids have these other family makeups and, you know, I bring them in if we don't have, um, this, the, a sort of, uh, a different representation of family makeup just to kind of like show kids, Hey, there's, there's this other way of having a family. Um, yeah. And it's really just about talking, just talking normally and, and, and normalizing the conversation. And especially when, it's their observations they bring to the table, yes. you know, um, and, and cause I think the biggest disservice we can do to four children and society is, is to not have those conversations. Cause when we, I think when we deny conversation or we, you know, use the, Oh, we don't say that or, or Shh, don't, don't talk about that. Yeah. I think we're communicating something to children that is more in the lines of, Hey, this thing is not to be talked about this is taboo. Right. You know, it's not, it's not worthy of conversation. And, right. and that doesn't do anything. And then all it does is force the child to sort of either really stay stuck in their own narrative that they're, that they're constructing themselves as they go along. And, or with their young peers. Exactly. Have just as little information as they do. So they make up something really weird. Exactly. Okay, go yeah, on. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then, you know, and, and what brain science tells us is that the older a child gets, the less, or the oil, older a human being gets, the less flexible the brain is, you know? So if we can, at an early age, provide um, a substantial amount of uh, critical thinking or the beginnings of it, then 
I think we're really giving the child the opportunity to see themselves as a, as a critical thinker and someone who can really uh, deeply like approach the abstract and approach things that are unknown and uncomfortable in a way with curiosity. Yeah. And I mean, is there a word, I mean, I, I appreciate what you're saying about critical thinking. I, I think it's one of the most important things in the world we can help children develop, but there's also what I kept getting in your description and your, uh, of what you, how you move kids thinking into this bigger, more expanded world of possibilities mm-hmm. is just an openness to away from black and white, right, wrong, should, shouldn't, this way or that way, binary, you know, yeah. which is so limiting and so false. I mean, it's just false. Exactly. And, you know, um, I, I, offline, I think you and I sort of touched on it. Like, it's important because, you know, children, especially these days with how technology as it is, they are, they are bombarded constantly with information. Yeah. Right. And 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 so they're going to they're going to have more information to sift through and try to decipher than you and I did. And yep. And they need people that are going to be able to have those conversations with them. Right. Rather than them looking for the the, looking for information that only confirms their current bias. Right. Confirmation bias. Exactly. And so I think that's why it's important for early childhood educators to really, yeah, provide that counter narrative. Oh. And give them a thinking filter. Exactly. And an observation filter that's got that critical thinking aspect, but also is just able to step back and not be judging everything and putting it in immediate categories right away. Of, yeah. Of that. Yeah. And, and, you know, and hopefully with that critical thinking that we're pulling out of them or help, help fostering is that they, uh, as they get older, they start realizing that the world is more gray than it is black and white, you know, <laughs> and that's okay. And it's okay to sit with things that you don't know. And yes. it's okay to be uncomfortable. And it is more than okay to really approach these things with curiosity. And I think that's the biggest, the biggest thing of, um, of social justice education with young children is developing that disposition of learning with curiosity rather than certainty. Absolutely. And you know what I'm thinking of right now? I was just talking to a a young woman. She's in her early 30s now that I've known since she was a baby. I've been friends with her family forever. Oh, awesome. And she's coming to a kind of an existential uh, abyss in a way. I mean, she's very purposeful. She's getting her PhD and some very good environmental stuff and all of that. But in the silent gaps, she's just kind of questioning everything because I think for a while she thought she had all the answers. Right. And I think that if kids can grow up with that feeling of like there's always more to learn that okay I see that kind of family or I see that color skin but that doesn't mean I know everything about that family or about that color of skin right and and so because this girl that I'm talking about she will be fine she's got a huge heart and wonderful intelligence and good people around her you know but there's there's something that has to be dropped off at some point in life when you've held on to these rigid categories, I feel. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, and I, at ha- like there's developmental theory for early childhood education that talks about that. And, mm-hmm. and, and, and really it's, it's a human thing. And, and you're right. Like mm-hmm. when we, when the brain is acquiring new information and resynthesizing uh, connections and, and information, it, it does shave off other old information to make space mm-hmm. for it, you know, cause I mean, as vast and as fascinating as the brain is, we know we only use like 10% of it. So that's not really a whole lot of space to hold in all the information. And so we definitely use, uh, yeah, that sort of catch and release sort of um, like sort of, or <laughs> that's the way I frame it, you know, and, yeah. um, and, and, and it's, it's an interesting process. And, and again, if, if we can get young humans in early childhood education to practice that cognitive flexibility at an early age, then they have that strong foundation to, to carry with them at an older age, to be able to do what you're, to what you're talking about. Right. And it's not that we don't want them to be discriminating. Right. That's very important. I mean, Mm -hmm. yes, there is right and wrong in the world and should and shouldn't there. There is all of that. We don't want to make mush pots out of the kids that we're influencing. Yeah. But, um, it's so interesting. It's just that balance and that being present and being real and not being knee jerk. Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, and as the educator, just, you know, I would encourage educators to really just be mindful of, of how, yeah, being open and then also making sure that you're, 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 that you're approaching things with the lens of representation and equity, right? Like that making sure that, that you're, if you do want to take on the task of social justice education, that you are ready to provide the balancing act of, of things that are in your classroom. If you have families that are all heterosexual, we'll provide the, the counterbalance of same-sex families because that is the reality of the world we live in. You know, And make sure when you're reading through your books, I, every, like, there's so many books where everything is a he- Right. And we're talking about a truck or we're talking about like something that you can't even see the the sex anatomy. So, you know, fill in those words, put in a they, a them, put in a she, you know, make it make it ambiguous. And and I think those are the small things that eventually like make a huge difference. That feels so right and so true and so long term effective Um, there do you get much pushback from the families or, or because they've chosen your school, then they're pretty much all on the same page or how does that work? Yeah. Fortunately, yes, we do like, you know, everybody's on board, like at their parent orientation, we, um, before they even enroll, they know what we're about at Hilltop mm-hmm. Children's Center. And then even in my classroom, when we have a, a, a raindrop room um, orientation, they know what we're, what, what I'm going to be about as an educator. And I tell them, this is how we're going to end up talking about skin color and race. And we're going to, we're not going to really celebrate Christmas very much. We're going to try to shine light on the other things that are out there. Um, And, and so they, they kind of know what the program is going to be. Although there are a couple times here and there that, uh, and it's pretty few and far in between, but there will be families who, who eventually they're like, Oh, I didn't know it was going to be that intent, you know, and, or that intentful. And, and really what we, 
what that does is just opens up a door of communication. And often I've found that particular grown up is generally just uncomfortable with their own with with their own um, lack of tools of how to talk about this stuff because of their own upbringing. Right. And so then we just try to take the opportunity to empower one another, you know, and so I try to like, hey, this is here's some simple this is the language I use in the classroom for you to practice with your child, you know, give it a try. And when you feel uncomfortable, keep trying, you know, (laughs) because I would say the worst thing you can do is not talk about it at all. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And um, here's a little confession that when my kids were little, um, oh, this is really delicate and I apologize if I offend anybody, but when I was very young, I was freaked out when I heard about homosexuality. I don't know. I just couldn't. I it just I didn't know where to put that in my brain. And I mm-hmm. carried a, a very restricted mentality about that for a long time. Mm-hmm. And then when I tried to communicate that to my kids, my two young boys, they shut me down. <laughs> oh, mom, get over it. You know, I'm like, what? <laughs> <laughs> so I love it. You know, when I, I mean, you know, I. I heard them. I, I saw them, you know, it blasted my brain open, you know, and, and it was such a good thing. And I'm completely over it, com- completely over that. I, I'd have to say there's some little smudges in there still in me uh-huh. because it was such a, a deep sort of programming. I don't know where I got it, but anyway, that was there. I'm just being a hundred percent honest, maybe too honest, but it's so interesting that sometimes the kids are smarter than the adults. And do you have any stories about that? Oh, smarter or in more insightful or, or just more big picture. I'm sure you have a million stories. Oh yeah. And you know, I mean, not, not one really pops into my mind, but it's more of just their, their play. And then, you know, in their play. And then once, once they get a taste of advocacy and the power behind being able to be an advocate. And that's the other thing, the key piece Mm. of social justice education is Mm. having children get that, get a taste of advocacy and what that, what that feels like. Cause there's some really strong power behind it. And um, so the way I've seen that manifest is like, uh, like in my toddler classroom, um, there there are some little boys who were zooming around in capes and being superheroes. And one of them stops and was like, I'm a girl Batman. And the other boy's like, no, you can't be, a, you know, I, I'm botching their dialogue, but more or less yeah. is like, no, you, you can't be a, a girl. You've got a penis. And he's like, no, I'm going to be a girl right now. And then this other little girl who was playing the game with them kind of walked up and was like, hey, listen, so-and-so, he just wants to be a girl for now. It's okay. He wants to be like his sister. Let's just keep playing. And then, and this other little boy who was just so like, no, things are you know, kind of thinking binary and yeah. and very concretely was just, it took him a while, but then, and he kept looking to me like, Hey, you got to back me up. Like, right. Am I saying the right thing? And I'm like, this is between you guys. Paige, Paige is, you know, she's letting you know what's going on. And, and so I just kind of let that little girl like, uh, and this is a little story in, in, in my book that'll be coming out in the summer. <laughs> and so and so Paige is like, like kind of advocating for this other little boy. And, and, and soon enough, 
you know, it just became, they were like, oh, okay, yeah, let's just, let's just keep playing. And, <laughs> and so there's a lot of those uh, sort of examples um, where a child realizes the power in telling somebody else no for a, a very nuanced sort of thing. Um, yeah. yeah. Beautiful. And, and so then we're coming right back to how relevant this all is to social emotional learning, which is what this podcast is all about. Yeah. Do you, do you want to address that? Uh, I, does anything come to you? I mean, we just, we do, you just did that advocacy for each other and allowing each other to, to be each child to be him or herself, mm-hmm. you know? And just... Well, I think the biggest thing in that, you know, and I think a big key of, uh, that um, the advocacy piece and even with uh, social emotional learning is really the cultivation and strengthening of empathy. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. If you're going to authentically advocate for anything, there's, there's, there's generally a hefty amount of empathy that is driving that. And, and I think that's the biggest thing that we are doing, especially at the toddler level is helping toddlers unblur their their sort of egocentric thinking and helping them realize that there's more to the world than just them and their thinking and even just them and their family and really that and and this is you know especially during this COVID-19 times like it's all all around they're all hearing it that we're all in this together because guess what we really are and this is a prime good tangible example of how we're all suffering through this together and you know and i think this is a great the silver lining one of the silver linings of this covid situation is that it can be a a a a springboard to really talk about empathy and to really drive empathy home for children that that we are in this together that we're all connected somehow and so I, i guess that would be the biggest thing that comes to my mind a hundred percent. I mean, what is social, emotional, uh, successful expression without empathy? I mean, it just isn't. It just isn't. Yeah. You have to. Oh, it, there could be some rules that you follow just from your head, but empathy is so much more multidimensional than that. And the other thing that I have always felt for the longest time is that empathy must be evoked just in the same exact way differently but in the same strength as laughter you cannot teach a person how to laugh right. you cannot teach a person you cannot teach empathy you can only evoke those and make situations where it can be drawn out and then help to nurture that yeah. in ways that yeah you cannot force either one of those yeah that's yeah that's wonderfully said i hadn't thought about it that way and it yeah. you know because it really is an experiential kind of thing right it, yeah. it's and it's interesting when like there have been um I had worked with an organization that was trying to put empathy on, into a rating scale. Now granted these are some scientific minded thinking people but I'm like you I don't that's not really something you can just put something 1 to 5 to, right? Or check a box right. off. So yeah, I, I love what you said that it's it's got to be evoked. Yeah, it really does. And It'll be interesting when the day comes when we realize that we can't uh, so much measure things that are of that other dimension like empathy, 
you know, yeah. in the way that we measure, um, you know, math skills or something. It's just there has to be a more subjective way of measuring that we learn to respect and trust for ourselves and others. And that's that'll be a whole other level of education for all of us. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, thank you, Nick. I, I just really treasure these times when we get to talk about these things that matter. Now, do you know the name of your book that's coming out? Uh, it's called, yeah, it's called A Can of Worms. <laughs> <laughs> so well, it's I fitting. Just want to... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and so subtitle, what's, what's the subtitle? Well, so it's part of um, uh, Margie Carter and Ann Pello's uh, book mm-hmm. uh, from teaching to thinking and the, and it's uh, around this series called reimagining our work and really reimagining what does it mean to be an educator? And so um, my, my, my companion book to their bigger book is um, a can of worms reimagining what it means to be a toddler teacher. Marvelous. Yeah. Really wonderful. Well, then we definitely, I'm so happy that we will have another conversation about that for sure. Yeah. This summer? It's coming out this summer? Yeah, it should be out uh, maybe August, I think. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. I'll let you know. Awesome. <laughs> yes, yes, good. Do not hesitate. All right. Well, I think we've done it. I feel good about this. Great. Do you too? I do. Anything else? Okay. Mm-hmm. Anything else you want to say? No, I don't. Just everybody take care of each other and hang in there. Yeah. yeah. All right, yeah. Nick. All right. Carry on. All right. Thanks, Nini. Take care. Thank, thank you. Bye. Bye. Frederick Douglass, an American social reformer of the 19th century, wrote, It is easier to build strong children than to repair broken men. And for sure, it's a lot more fun to build strong children, I'm sure you would agree. Please refer to this show's notes to access some resources that I've collected for you. I I hope they're helpful. If you have other resources for this topic of social justice for young children, please share them with us on the Facebook page. Uh, It's called the Big Picture Social Emotional Learning Podcast on Facebook. We're all in this together, thank goodness. Thank you for being here, for persevering through the challenges. All my best to you. Thank you.